TV series Friends has never left our screen since it premiered in 1994. Following the sad death of Matthew Perry in October, I'm finding that every other video offered up to me by Facebook and Instagram is a clip from Friends. I'm from that generation that had friends through our teenage years. I think it's now today's teenagers who are discovering it afresh. Welcome to the real world. It sucks. You're going to love it. It's a quote from Monica in the pilot's episode, the one where it all began. And she's consoling Rachel, who's just cut up her credit cards in an attempt to become financially independent and get a job, uh, which happens to be in some coffee shop called Central Perk. Uh, but that uh, line from Monica is a great line for the paradoxes and contradictions of our modern world. It sucks and you'll love it. There's beauty and there's brokenness. There's joy and there are tears. Tonight I want to spend a few minutes highlighting what the wonderful O Holy Night, the nation's favourite carol that we've just heard, calls the thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. There is beauty and much to love about the world that God has made, but there's also much that is broken, much that brings tears, much that sucks. Can we really dare to hope in the midst of all of that? There's a, there's a verse in the reading that we uh, heard from Matthew chapter 1 that sums up what Christians believe about hope. So poor old Joseph is wondering what on earth is going on with his betrothed being suddenly pregnant and this strange story about an angel. But the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Well, why, though, does that bring hope? Consider for a moment how the angel's words compare with other places that we often look for hope. Every human being needs hope. Dostoevsky said that to live without hope is to cease to live. We're all living for something. And yet so often our, our own hopes and dreams remain out of reach. So the death of Matthew Perry, who played Chandler in Friends, has touched many people because despite his unimaginable success, he seemed to be so human and so fragile. In his book, Friends, Lovers and the Big Terrible Thing, he is candidly honest about how the extraordinary fame that he enjoyed did not deliver any of what he was really looking for. He said, now, all these years later, I'm certain that I got famous so that I would not waste my entire life trying to get famous. You have to get famous to know that it's not the answer. And anybody who is not famous will never truly believe that. And later he, he adds, I, I think you, you actually uh, have to have all of your dreams come true to realise they are the wrong dreams. Our own hopes and dreams don't deliver. Neither very often do our leaders. 
Just a couple of weeks ago was the 60th anniversary of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Just five months before his death, he addressed a college graduation ceremony with these words, mankind's problems are man-made and therefore they can be solved by man. Man can be as big as he wants. And it sounds so positive, so life-affirming. But five months later, he was dead. And the 60 years that followed have surely showed anything but a fulfilment of the kind of temporary optimism that followed the end of the Second World War. Even now, as we head into 2024, it's easy to fear what lies ahead with war in Israel and Gaza and Ukraine and elections and AI and everything else in between. But the angel said to Joseph, as we heard the angel also say to the shepherds, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to bring Mary home as your wife because God is doing something here. God has broken into the world and Mary is going to give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Here is the great moment where hope breaks in. Perhaps in a way that is not completely expected. So at the risk of over-quoting from Friends, you know, could there be any more Friends references? Uh, my favourite episode is one which is what they call a bottle episode, where the entire episode pretty much takes place in, in one location, in Monica and Rachel's flat, which is essentially a way of the producers saving money, but it can also produce some superb situation comedy. So it's called The One Where No One's Ready. And that's the episode, just all of them running late to leave for Ross's presentation at the museum. And much of the episode centres around the fact that Chandler and Joey are arguing over a chair. And Joey takes the cushions when he goes to get changed, which Chandler argues are in fact the essence of the chair. So Chandler hides Joey's underwear. So Joey reappears wearing everything Chandler owns from his wardrobe and it gets extremely silly. But that argument over a chair in which only one person can sit at a time is a kind of picture, not in itself serious at all, but a picture of something much more serious. Of how human beings treat one another and treat God who made us. Because there is a throne, and we all want to sit on it. And we'll fight one another to keep ourselves at the centre. But the problem is, as we fight one another and we claim our rights, we forget the throne itself is already occupied by God. And fighting God and one another for the throne is a picture of what the angel talking to Joseph calls sin. It is the source of all that sucks, all that is broken, all that brings tears in this world that God made. And yet, rather than enforcing the guilty verdict that we deserve before God, instead he's broken into the world with a saviour for sin whose name is Jesus. <clears throat> the history of the world shows us again and again that the hope that we need won't come from our own human efforts. It has to come from the outside. Two weeks ago, we heard the story of the successful rescue of the 41 mining workers 
trapped in a tunnel in the Himalayas. There have been a couple of stories like that in the last 15 years or so. There was the Thai boys football team rescued from caves in 2018. I think the one that is particularly remarkable in terms of time is the Chilean miners back in 2010 who were rescued from deep inside the San Jose gold and copper mine. And what strikes me as particularly remarkable is the fact that they were on their own in darkness, deep underground, with no hope, no way out, no idea if they would be rescued for 18 days, two and a half weeks, before finally a drill broke through into the place where they were sheltering. And they were able to send back a note to the service. Estamos bien en el refugio los tres. We are well in the refuge area, all 33 of us. Can you imagine the thrill of hope for all involved at that moment? Hope broke in. Now after that moment, they still had to wait a further 51 days to be rescued. And, and it must have continued to be extraordinarily hard. But suddenly it became possible to look forward with hope for the future, despite the ongoing difficulties of the present. And that is the significance of the angel's message to Joseph. This son Jesus will save his people from their sins. He will live the perfect life that none of us have lived. He will die the death that we deserve to die. He will rise to new life and bring new hope for the future beyond death. And that changes everything now. Even while we continue for now in this world of brokenness. On the same day as Kennedy's assassination, November the 22nd, 1963, just an hour or two beforehand across the Atlantic here, the author of the Narnia books and defender of the Christian faith, C.S. Lewis, suffered a fall at home and also died. In contrast with Kennedy's optimism about the human spirit, C.S. Lewis was far more realistic. In the film Shadowlands about C.S. Lewis, these words are put into his mouth. Self-sufficiency is the enemy of salvation. If you are self-sufficient, you have no need of God. If you have no need of God, you do not seek him. If you do not seek him, you will not find him. C.S. Lewis recognised that trying to solve our problems ourselves is only going to add to the mess that the world is already in. But God stepped into the mess. And in a messy room, surrounded by messy animals in a messy feeding trough, a baby was born in swaddling clothes, helpless, was, was wrapped in swaddling clothes, helpless, utterly reliant on his parents for life. And this baby was God on earth, stepping into the mess to bring the best possible gift we could ever receive. Welcome to the real world. It sucks, you're going to love it. The message of Christmas is that God did love the world. He sent his son to a world that sucks, to suffer on behalf of human beings spoilt by sin, so that by trusting in him we can have new life. 
That is the invitation to each one of us, to leave behind self-sufficiency, to turn from all the fruitless human efforts to bring hope that so often disappoint and put our faith in this Saviour. I'd love to invite each of us to consider that invitation and to think how we might personally respond to the invitation that we hear this Christmas. A thrill of hope. A weary world rejoices. They will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins.